0: Welcome to another episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Today my guest is Hope Nicholson. She is the author of The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen, Awesome Female Characters from Comic Book History. And this is being published by Quirk Books. It's a lovely hardcover. Goes through the decades and looks at superheroines and some of the people that created them, who are superheroines themselves. I've been looking forward to this conversation because I've never had the chance to speak with Hope Nicholson until this podcast and she is a publisher in her own right. Her company is called Bedside Press and she publishes books through that imprint as well. I first heard about Hope when I interviewed J.K. Snyder III at the Baltimore Comic Con. She published his book that he is currently putting together called Fashion in Action. It is being remastered and collected in one volume for the first time. Now, hope was instrumental in getting that project to come to light through promotion and through publishing the book and through encouragement hope is doing some really important work uh, with this book the spectacular sisterhood of superwomen as well as her other books through bedside press because she's bringing to light a lot of superheroines and characters from the 40s and some that are canadian since she lives in canada that we haven't heard of here in the states and they would have been forgotten through the mists of time had it not been hope researching these and bringing them back and explaining the history behind those characters, and especially in her upcoming book that we talk about. After our interview, I have a bonus interview podcast that I did back in October that is germane to our conversation. So let's get started. My interview with Hope Nicholson, here now on Creator Talks. Welcome to Creative Talks.
1: Hi. Happy to be here.
0: Um, I'm really excited to see that you have a book coming out published through Quirk Books, The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen, and uh, I just got my copy today, actually. I came home from work, grabbed my copy, sat down immediately, and started reading, and I'm through the 1930s. I'm a slow reader.
1: Oh. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, that's a good chunk still. I think there's about five characters or so in that section I talked about.
0: You know, it's, it's um, just looking through the table of contents. And, of course, I'll let you talk about the book. But just to, to give folks an idea, it's broken down by decade. And each chapter you spotlight an icon of that decade. And it's pretty cool. There's a lot I haven't heard of, which is great. Because that's the purpose of the book, to bring some of these female superheroines and characters to life. Bring them back uh from the ages because, you know, a lot of contents were put out since then and some get forgotten. Um, but some, I do recognize, uh, there's Katie Keene, it's one of mom's favorites. She would always talk about Katie Keene. Um, Miss Fury, one of my favorites, too. That's a great one. Fashion in Action, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I like that one, too. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Tell me uh, tell me about the book and how you did the research for it and how long you spent working on it to put it all
2: together.
1: Yeah, so... The book is a uh, light history of uh, female characters in comics, and the way I kind of broke it down was by decades. I so was starting in the 1930s. I originally was going to start in the 1940s, but there were so many characters that predated that decade that I felt it was really essential to go back to the very start when comics really had their push in the 1930s. And yeah, then I continued all until the uh, 2010s. I noticed the reason I did by decade by decade instead of kind of golden age, silver age eras, is that I find a lot of people group everything together from the 1980s on when they do histories, but there's been a huge amount of difference in uh, the changes in the industry just within the last 10 years, uh, let alone the last 40 years. So.
0: There has, and I'm glad you did break those out because they do tend to get lumped together as the modern age, so much has happened in the modern age, so many changes. Yeah, and it is great seeing them broken out by decade, and it is a very lighthearted, I mean, it's a very conversational style, relaxed writing style you have. It's very, it's like you're just sitting there telling me a story in a very friendly, relaxed way, so it's a lot of fun to read, too. I mean, it's not just information. It's not like an encyclopedia. It's definitely fun to read. Definitely
1: not an encyclopedia. That's, I think, the main uh, thing that I want to get across with the book is that this is not a definitive list of all the female characters in the comics. That would be not impossible to do, but it would take decades of time to really put together. But I want to showcase characters from different genres and who are both positive examples of female characters and maybe a few that were a bit less positive because I didn't want to sugarcoat things too much because we have had a history of uh, some pretty. Uh, bad trends in female representation. So it would be irresponsible, I think, to completely ignore that. Though I did try to keep it a bit lighter on that front.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely do put everything in context You know, of the period of the time in the 1930s and the 1940s where they were published, the articles they were published in and, and who they were published for, the audience. You tell the story like it is. This was the setting at the time. It could have been better, should have been better, but that's what was happening at the time. Uh, so it's a very fair, even-handed look. Is there um, any particular favorite out of all of these well, well let's say actually uh of the last uh, 10 years
1: oh i uh, i mean there's been a lot of great characters in the last 10 years i think bold riley was probably my favorite to research in the 2010s uh she's particularly interesting because i own a small press publishing house myself and she also comes from a small press publishing house so to see like such a dynamic character come forth and then just not really get the recognition she deserved was something that was uh, kind of interesting to read, but also her adventures were just a lot of fun. It's a tale of uh, Indian princess who goes adventuring, and she woos maidens and uh, gets into fights with demons and dragons, and it's just a it's a great great like high fantasy adventure book, and it just feels different from anything else I've ever read.
0: And I should point out to our U.S. readers that uh, some of these two are Canadian superheroes.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I was uh, just talked about that in an interview recently, and I they want to know which Canadians I featured, so I had to go through, and I realized that not on purpose, but I somehow managed to feature almost a different Canadian character from each decade, and uh, quite a few, actually, in the 2000s, more than one.
0: Well, that's good, because there's a lot that we're not familiar with, and I don't think a lot of them are published in... The states here. So it's definitely good to have that information. Were there any that you were researching that there wasn't much information available, that they haven't been reprinted and it was difficult to find some details about that character?
1: Yeah, there was a good deal that were very difficult to research because of that. Uh, The biggest one that gave me the biggest problem, but that because of their relevance in comics, I didn't want to not talk about was Olga Mesmer she's uh some people consider her the first superhero in comics even though she doesn't wear a cape and her adventures are a bit more sci-fi oriented Uh, but she did have superpowers and she went on adventures and it was like really this epic comic book that was a few years before Superman um but she's been completely forgotten not only is she completely forgotten I could find a handful of strips online and that was through really going into deep dives into forums and contacting collectors and everything like that. I I've never had so much trouble with finding reference material for a character, even when I was doing the Canadian Whites, the 1940s comics. Uh, Olga Mesmer is this really important character that's completely inaccessible. I think given time, I could maybe find out more. Some people are heard about her, but a lot of people don't know her story. Uh, and because I wasn't able to read the original strips like I have for all the other characters, I managed to find a full recap of her adventures from a collector that had been printed, I think, about 10 or 20 years ago in a history book. And so, you know, I went over it and tried to see if I could determine whether it was accurate. It seemed to be fully accurate. So I had to go on someone else's words of what her adventures were.
0: No, that's really helpful because uh, some people think that comics, superhero comics, began with Superman. But there's a long history before that. And you've delved into some of that in this book here. Are there any creators uh, that are your favorite from past decades?
1: There was a creator in um, at Fiction House, actually, that I've been researching for a bit. I'm just uh, trying to remember her name right now. And uh, she did a lot of Jungle House comics, and she was a fantastic artist, just really amazing. And what was really neat about her is that she was uh, the first openly gay woman in comics as well. And that didn't seem to impact her career at all at the time. She did a lot of comics, and she had quite a good career in the comic book field before um, she kind of vanished. And I was trying to find out what happened to her. Uh, Marcia Snyder was her name. There's not a lot of info on what happened to her, the basic bones of her life, but why she left comics and what she did after, there's not a lot of info on that.
0: Is there anybody you wish, and she might be one, that you you could have sat down with and interviewed one-on-one?
1: Definitely would have been neat to interview Marcia Snyder. Um, She moved to Florida, and she only passed away uh, not too long ago, so theoretically it could have been possible. Uh, I'm still hoping that I can sit down maybe with uh, one of her contemporaries and find out more, because she seemed to be at least fairly well-known around the Marvel uh, offices in the 1950s, so I still hold out hope that I can find more info on her, but if anyone I'd like to sit down with and talk to would be probably Ramona Fraidon because she had a really good career in comics and was pretty uh, influential um and she's still around today and she's still doing cons and still doing commissions so I think that's really exciting. Added to that probably Marie Severin would have been really neat to talk to because of her I mean she's still around uh, as far as I'm aware uh because of her experience as like the godmother of comic book coloring.
0: She um I believe, I'm pretty sure, she penciled the Hulk back in the 60s.
1: Ramona Freydon?
0: Oh, no, uh, Marie Severin.
1: I don't know if she penciled. I mean, she was a very well-known colorist.
0: I think she did. I'm going to have to double-check that, but I'm pretty sure she did. Ramona Freydon, yes, she worked on um, Metamorpho. That was one of her creations, actually.
1: Neat. I mostly know the stuff she did for, I think, Aquaman.
0: Yes. Um, Actually, I did get a chance to talk to her in Baltimore. It was towards the end of the con, and I saw her just sitting there. I thought, well, that's that's terrible. Somebody should go talk to her. I mean, just Ramona Freedom for crying out loud. So, <laughs> I managed to catch a few moments with her and uh, do a video interview with her, and she was uh, great to talk to.
1: She'd be great to talk to just to get a better idea of what the comics industry was like, especially the, less so the the characters and all that, but like what the actual behind the scenes info was like. Because I feel like a lot of women don't often get interviewed for their work in the comics contributions and they have a different experience than they do the male artists and writers at the time.
0: Right. Now this book's gonna come out on May 2nd and I I don't know if you still have it running or not, but do you not have a special incentive if you pre-order right now?
1: Yeah, the publisher is putting together a special pre-order campaign. And so if you pre-order the book and email me and I can either forward it on to marketing at Quirk Books or not. They'll send you some lock screens for your phone, and I'll give you a copy of every single book I've ever published, uh, digitally, of course. And then you also get entered to win a pack of cards made specifically for the book and uh, physical books as well. So it's kind of a neat campaign just to see if we can get some people to pick up the book before it launches, which always helps to get more attention to the book.
0: It is neat, and I do like those... um those lock screen images too. I have one on my phone. It's oh, the, nice. uh, the blonde yeah. heroine with the two, looks like fish people or something like that. Oh, Marine,
1: the, Marine, Yeah. Yes. She's one of my favorite characters. Uh, there's nothing, there's never been anything like Marine, Marine since, I don't think. Um, it was, I mean, obviously it has a very silly name. Her name's Maureen and then she lives in the sea. So her last name becomes Maureen and she rules the sea uh, after a ship crash. She rules this, underground or underwater society of mermen who are like really hideous looking creatures for the most part they're not very pretty looking at all and she's the sole female and so while you know like it could be one of those magical girls uh, a magical princess now kind of stories It's actually quite interesting because she goes to war against other mermen and she kind of leads them into battle with an iron fist. It it reminds me a bit of the Narnia books, which I always loved, which was not really as light and lighthearted as you'd think. There's a lot of like very violent war and kids like going up against uh, a very violent adversary. So it's fun to read.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I am cheating here. I did go online to look this up. Usually I do it from the top of my head and I doubted myself. But yes, Marie Severin. Wonderful colorist, of course. She did draw stories of the Submariner and the Hulk. And I thought she did because I remember um, after the Hulk had his own series and then it ended after issue six, and then they picked it up with Tales to Astonish, and Mickey D'Emio uh, was doing the artwork. That was his pen name, George Tusca, used Mickey D'Emio. Then when the book relaunched, Marie Severin was penciling the Hulk. And that was one of my favorite artists who worked on the Hulk. I loved her pencils on him. Oh, neat. So it's, it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it, but it's some fantastic work. To me, it's some of the best Hulk work out there. I mean, she's up there with Jack Kirby, Herb Trimpey. Uh, it's it's really good stuff.
1: Reading about Marie Severin uh, on the Wikipedia page mm. as well right now. And what's really neat, I just saw now, which I should have included in the book, but I wasn't using Wikipedia as a source material. So she, apparently, she spoke in a 1974 Women in Comics panel. Ah. Can you believe that? We've been doing Moon and Comic Found <laughs> <panel> since 1974. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I read it in your book, too, that uh,
0: there were actually cons back in the 30s, I should say. Um, and they were mainly science fiction cons, but they go, they go way back.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, cons go way, way back. It was really important for me when writing the book to not only talk about the characters, which the focus is on, and the creators, uh, which I try to talk as much as possible about, and the industry. Um, But also the fan communities, because you can't have an industry without the fan communities. And they've really evolved and changed. And they're just as important to the history of comics as any one writer or artist is.
0: I was going to ask you about your publishing company, Bedside Press. Uh, You founded that. How long ago did you found that? Uh,
1: Officially, it was November 2014. But I'd uh, been doing publishing, I think, for about a year before that. So around 2013 is when I started publishing, but without really a publishing house.
0: And you publish a lot of uh, new comics there, anthologies, anthology books, but you also publish lost comics, much like some of the characters you talk about in this book, The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen.
1: Yeah, I do 1940s uh, Canadian comics is where I really started, and then I began to branch off into anthologies, and then I kind of circled back and did a 1980s American reprint, which was a little bit different.
0: What's your fascination with the the history of comics? Like you're you're going back a lot to the older books back in the 30s and 40s and what's your fascination with that era?
1: I guess what's really interesting is that there's still new ground to break um, in terms of the histories. Like there's a lot of histories written but there's always new info to find about areas that have been overlooked. So especially in the Canadian comics, there was brief histories written but when I started to really dig into the meat of things and use my research skills, I discovered a lot of the information was inaccurate which I can't blame any historian for. It's a it's a really big task to write an overall history of comics, and you don't really have the time to drill down into specific characters or creators in depth. So because of that, a lot of info happens to be inaccurate. And I was uh, really lucky to be able to do two characters, Melvin and Northern Lights, and Brock Windsor, and discover bits about the characters and the backstory that no one had ever known before. So... It's a, it's a great feeling of satisfaction when you discover new material. Like if I ever found a link um, to Marcia Snyder, I'd be incredibly excited. And it's been great finding the stuff about the comics so far that I have.
0: See, so it's not just all going on the internet and looking on the web. There's a lot of research, like a detective, trying to track down some of this information.
1: Well, the internet's not magical. Someone has to write it up and put it on the internet, right? Oh, yeah. No one's been doing research. It's not there. So, yeah. And that's kind of what the approach I took with the history book, too, is that there's a lot of histories being written, but it's hard to tell when you read them what might be right and what might be wrong. So I tried uh, whenever I could to basically do the information myself. So some histories I read uh, here and there, like articles uh, from the past, interviews I focused on less so than written histories. And a lot of, lot of data collection, which was my main source of research for the book.
0: Do you plan on doing more history-based books, um, especially about the creators themselves?
1: Um, the creators themselves is a, is a bit more difficult and a bit less interesting to me okay. <laughs> uh, for the most part. Um, I like to discover overall trends and do some research on those. Uh, and who knows? Yeah, I mean... I'm not the type of person to do a lot of research unless I have a book deal attached to it, to be honest. I just don't have the time to do research like that for my own pleasure. Sure. So it all depends on what the uh, future publishers might want.
0: I understand. No, that makes perfect sense. I also wanted to ask you about, since I have you on the phone, uh, J.K. Snyder uh, the third. You uh, helped him with putting together the fashion in action a comic that's being remastered and collected as one volume, and he said you were very instrumental in helping that get off the ground and make it happen. Yeah, and the
1: publisher on it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but I mean, I unlike the 1940s comics, I didn't do any of the restoration on that, and I think that's why the restoration looks so good on fashion and action, is because it had the actual artist uh, going behind the scenes, getting the original artwork, uh, getting the original color guides and everything, and remastering it himself. And so that's why it looks so good and so sharp. Um, but unfortunately, it's also why it's taken much, much longer than uh, most restoration usually does when it's done from scans of the original material.
0: Yeah, I did see the digital copy of the remastered pages, and it looks fantastic. I think I've read about half of it so far. But uh, it does take some time. But you were instrumental in helping to promote that, get it published, get it out there on Kickstarter. And you actually Did you actually help with the Kickstarter um, campaign itself?
1: I did the Kickstarter, yeah. You
0: did, because you are a, uh, what's the uh, term that they gave you? A thought leader. A
1: Kickstarter thought leader, Kickstarter, yeah. Tell
0: me about that. How do you get that that accolade of a uh, thought leader for Kickstarter?
1: Well, it's less an accolade, and I think a lot of people were, I um, noticed a lot of, not a lot, but a bit of backlash when they announced it, because some people said, oh, why isn't so-and-so a thought leader? Mm-hmm. And so it should be important to point out that it's not like an honor or an accolade, it's actually a role. So the reason is I've been doing uh, workshops on my own in Winnipeg and other areas at conventions to talk about how to use crowdfunding as a way to push your projects. if you're an artist, if you're a writer, or if you want to start up a publishing company. And so because of that, they approached me and a few other people who've been doing the same and said, like, well, we want you to do this and keep doing it, but make it official. And so I'll just be doing the same things I did before, but now with that little, you know, Kickstarter nod to my work. (laughs)
0: Okay, so you're an advocate and you have a proven track record of success with Kickstarters and you're trying to tell other people, here's how you can be successful too, here's how you do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, not everyone can be successful and that's the most important thing. Like I do try to be very honest with people uh, that just because you have an idea or just because you have talent doesn't necessarily mean a Kickstarter will succeed. It has a lot of different moving parts and there's no guarantee that your project can succeed. But there are ways to make uh, the odds better and to at least try as hard as you can and a lot of people have had great success. I mean, I wouldn't have a publishing company if it wasn't for Kickstarter and uh, people using Kickstarter. So,
0: how many campaigns have you yourself run on Kickstarter, successfully funded? Uh,
1: sorry, I uh, I'll log into Kickstarter and check. I think it's about <laughs> seven. Okay,
0: that's that's fantastic. So,
1: yeah, it's it's been a great time. I started with the Nelvana Northern Lights campaign, and that was when it was under CGA Comics. It was a joint project uh but i ran the kickstarter for that and one two three four five six i've done six myself and i've published a seventh that another person ran the kickstarter for and uh yeah i'll be doing an eighth when the next person that's doing kickstarter does theirs
0: okay so they're going to be helping someone with their kickstarter
1: Yeah, so a lot of times, um, people bring projects to me, and they want to publish it, but they want to do the Kickstarter themselves. And so for me, that's great, because that's a lot of effort and time that's off my hands, and I can help them just with the nuts and bolts of publishing, like getting an ISBN number, getting CIP data, getting a designer, finding a printer, all that fun stuff, which I'm happy to do, because then I have a book to add to my catalog of sales, so it tends to be very mutually beneficial for both parties. I've done that for one project so far, enough space for everyone else. And I'll be doing that on the uh, Habibi Muslim Love anthology coming up.
0: How many books are you uh, publishing a month right now?
1: A month? None. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: um, I do. I think I do about three a year, depending. But I also work for other companies, and so it often seems like more. Okay. Like Seeker Loves the Geek Girls, uh, which came out through dark horse as a republication and the angel catbird series which is through dark horse as well
0: okay and that's not to minimize it when i say months because the first of all the quality of the books are is excellent i mean it looks really really nice i was really surprised how nice it looked not that i didn't expect it to look nice but i was like oh man it's a nice hardback this is going to look great on the shelf when i'm done reading it and this will hold up over oh, time spectacular
1: too sisterhood?
0: um yes yes
1: oh well i'm not i didn't publish that one i just wrote it oh i'm sorry Oh, no, it's okay. Oh, I'm You're
0: right. That's right. That's Quirk. That's Quirk Publications. Yeah. Um, Actually, it ones, looks so good. Yes. <laughs>
1: <Well>. <laughs> no, it's true. They have a really great designer and stuff, and I never promote him enough. Uh, his name's Timothy. He did an amazing job on the cover. It has a cellophane wraparound cover. Yeah. It's got great images yeah. of the comics that, I mean, I helped pull out and select, but he put together in really a dynamic way, so... Oh,
0: I thought the cellophane cover was just for me. Okay, so everyone's going to get that? All right, no.
1: Yeah, well, unless you have the <laughs> ARC. So.
0: Yes, that is by Quirk Books, not from your publishing company, which is Bedside Press. I knew that. <laughs>
1: Timothy O'Donnell is the name of the okay. designer at Quirk Books that does such a wonderful job with the design.
0: All right, yeah, it's great. And, uh, and people really should look into picking it up. And like, how many books do you – Or how much, I should say, maybe, do you want to write a book a year? Is that what you would desire to do? Or, you know, what's what's your preference? I mean, I know it depends on what someone comes to you about.
1: Ideally, I would not like to write more than one book a year because when I uh, have to do the research for the book, it really takes up all my attention, which means that it's really hard to navigate the rest of my publishing duties um, and work as a publisher, which is something I love to do. So doing a book a year and spending a few months dedicated to Writing a book when uh, maybe I'm, I'll am i take a break from publishing for those few months would probably be ideal for me, yeah. Because I do like writing and researching, but I do like publishing more. And I just have
0: a few questions for you that are not related to publishing or to the book. They're just uh, fun questions as we wrap things up. Rest and relaxation. What do you like to do when you're not working with on your publishing and your writing for rest and relaxation?
1: That's a very stressful question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, unfortunately, what I've come to realize is that there's very little times that I'm not involved in that. Uh, I, I wish there was. I know so that's probably like a very weak point in my life, that I don't have hobbies and I don't really have uh, very many social activities. Although, I do run um, Geek Girl Social Nights in Winnipeg and the Prairie Comics Festival in Winnipeg. But that's kind of just a, a different job. Uh, <laughs> that's a little bit slightly outside of comics. Well publishing at least, Um, but it's something that lets me get among people and help them out in a completely different way, so they're always fun.
0: And you love your work, so it it doesn't feel like work, right? It always feels like work, but... (laughs) I know, of course it does. I mean,
1: it it gives you a great deal of satisfaction that you don't get as much at a 9-to-5 job.
0: That's true, very true. But
1: you don't get uh, healthcare benefits, and you don't get that nice weekly paycheck either, so there's downsides too.
0: You have to prove yourself every day. Yeah, I know. I, we all do, actually. But it's, I can understand it's more stressful when you have your own business and there's not a, a larger corporation that you're working for that provides all those things. You have to kind of keep plugging away to make sure those things are covered.
1: Yeah, it can be difficult. I was talking to Colleen Duran on it uh, Twitter today, which is how a lot of people don't realize that in order to make it as uh, even a medium-sized artist or a larger artist or writer – You need to have multiple streams of revenue coming in so for artists that's often commissions as well as uh, cover work as well as interior comic pages as well as royalties from past projects and you know for me as a publisher that's uh, research work on the books i do the advances i get from that the royalties i get after curating content for different publishers and then occasionally doing different forms of freelance work um, if i find it's a good fit for me so a lot of people don't realize that you have to keep all these different balls in the air and moving, and that's just to guarantee a wage that's probably less than minimum. Unless, like, there is the the odd person who, you know, comes from family money or who has a spouse that's able to take some of the pressure of living expenses off them. Um, but by and large, most of us who, who work consistently for our money have to do a lot of various things, whether that's a nine-to-five job or part-time job or just a lot of different kinds of freelance.
0: Now, let's say you do have a chance to rest and relax. You're stuck on a desert island. There's no power. What is the one book or set of books that you would like to have with you?
1: That's a good question. Uh, if I could bring a set of books, I'd probably bring ElfQuest because it's always my favorite comic book series. And uh, I love it quite a bit. If I had to bring one single book, I might bring the uh, Love and Rockets Collection Locas because it's also a, a huge, huge favorite of mine that I really love to reread. Okay. lots of good choices.
0: And my final question. Your beverage of choice, and it doesn't have to be spirits. It can be coffee, tea, or something else. Something you like to relax with.
1: (laughs) I do like wine, but I mean, you know, you have different drinks for different occasions. So Dr. Pepper, I drink every day as well as coffee. Um, But yeah, it's okay to drink some wine every so often to take the edge off. But I think if I had to choose between wine or coffee, I'd definitely choose coffee.
0: A red or white wine? I'm just curious. White chilled Okay, okay. I, I drink red myself, but that's although
1: if you ask specifics about like a Pinot or like uh <laughs> I honestly don't know. My friend Renee Nolte asked me the other day and I just panicked and said, I don't know anything about these things. I'm not I'm not classy. Just just pick whatever you think is best.
0: I'm not classy either. I mean, my wife and I we like boxed wine. Um, <laughs> It doesn't matter. It's economical. It, it is. We I mean, look at. I mean, the bottle's nice if it's a special occasion, but we're like, you know,
1: that box. That's a lot of bottles in there. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> and it's. I mean, it stops the air from getting in too, so it's also very practical in that sense. You don't have a lot of uh, spoilage. So.
0: You know, if you don't know a lot about wine, there's a, a DVD that I bought maybe like well, ten years ago. It's. I'm sure you can still get it. It was Wine for the Confused, and hosted by John Cleese of Monty Python fame. So he goes over all it's the things we to about wine. to watch wine. a movie. <laughs> well, just a suggestion. We
1: just had that discussion about how I don't do anything <laughs> but work. I don't have time to watch a movie about wine, which I don't even care about. <laughs> no
0: <offense>. No problem. <laughs> Understand. Well, Hope, thanks so much for your time in talking about The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen, published by Quark Books, which is coming out uh, May 2nd. And if people want to jump on early and uh, pre-order, you have that special offer out there. So, um, hey.
1: Yeah, they can just email me at hope at bedsidepress.com and I'll give them a slew of goodies, including every book I published, which includes Rock Windsor, Nalvana, the Northern Lights, The Secret Loves Geek Girls, uh, Love Beyond Body, Space and Time, A Minion In, and Fashion in Action. Oh, and the Prairie Comics Festival Zine, and Polka Dot Pirate, and WoW Comics number one. That's it.
0: And you get a great book. I mean, it's yeah. it's really a nice looking book, and uh, it's a lot of fun to read. This is not like something really dry and boring. This is this is fun, um, and I think everyone will really enjoy it. I'm enjoying I it.
1: So. I don't think there's a single comics fan in the world who will read the book and say, "I've heard of every single one of these characters." No,
0: oh, absolutely.
1: Really
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> there's something to be learned. There is information here that'll be fresh to a lot of people. Certainly, me. Um, but thank you so much, and best of luck with that and with your publishing company, Bedside Press. Thank you. Okay, as promised, I have an interview from October. This is from the Baltimore Comic-Con. We talked about Ramona Freden, and I talked to her for a few minutes at the very end of the con on a Sunday. These are from the final moments at the con right before they close. So here now is that interview with Ramona Freyden at the Baltimore Comic-Con. I'm here at the Baltimore Comic-Con, September fourth, 2016, with Ramona Fraiden. Ramona, you worked on uh, Aquaman. I really am curious, what was it like working back then? I mean, was it difficult uh, working as a woman in the industry?
2: Oh no, I, I never I never noticed any discrimination, anything unusual about working. The only thing was the subject matter, not so much with Aquaman, but some of the later superhero stories were really for boys, <laughs> okay. for guys. And uh, I just didn't enjoy drawing superheroes that much, but it's, in terms of working, the actual working conditions, they were fine. Everybody, nobody treated me different than they treated anybody else. It wasn't like being in the fire department or okay. the police department or something. Okay. <laughs> and,
0: uh how long did you work on aquaman how many years i
2: think until uh, the last story i did was probably around 1962 when he came out in his own book but up until then i did it for from 1952 until 62 or three
0: and what other characters did you work on that are
2: in Aquaman, you mean? Well, I created Aqualad. Okay. and uh, And I'm not sure any of the other characters are familiar. I, I don't even remember any particular villains or any other characters in Aquaman. I did create his mother, Alanta, Alana, name I mean, uh,
0: was that your favorite character to work on, uh, Aquaman? No. What was, it was your favorite? My least. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. And what was your favorite?
2: Oh, I liked Metamorpho because I created uh, okay. it. And I loved yes. working on Plastic Man. And the mysteries that I did, too. I like anything that's a little a little offbeat and where people are interacting, you know, not just people hitting each other.
0: Right, right. A little more <laughs> to the story than just yeah, the usual yeah. bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Okay.
2: I like to. to be able to recognize a character, you know, create it. How many
0: years have you been coming to the Baltimore Comic Con?
2: I think two or three. Yeah, I like this this one very much. They're, They're so good with kids. They have a lot for kids. Oh, yeah, they, they do. T- I, the kids just seem to love it. So. And I,
0: I think it's great for the kids, too, because they get a chance to to create things. And, oh, and yes. Learn I
2: saw them over there learning how to create a comic book. It's, it's wonderful.
0: <laughs> Are you doing other cons this year? Is this the only one? Oh,
2: yeah. I've been to uh, North, Caroli- uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. And where else have I been? Uh, now it's all blending. Oh, San Diego. OK. And Albany, you know. But mostly from now on I'm gonna stay on the east coast. Yeah, and traveling really gets grueling, yeah. I really enjoy doing uh, conventions. I never did them for years, you know, and then when I quit doing Brenda I started going to San Diego and I found I loved it. So I've been, you know, going to a lot of conventions every year now. I love the fans. I mean, it's just fun to meet
0: them. But I, I think that's the most important part about going to the cons getting a chance to interface with people and meet yeah, them. because really. In an age of internet, which is wonderful, I like it, but I mean, to have a chance to meet someone face-to-face. I know. thats I know. That's where it's really a lot of fun. Cause I, back when I was a kid, I'd read these books, and I would, I'd i read Smiling Stan Lee and Jack King Kirby. I never met them. I didn't know who was behind yeah, the book. I Maybe mean, they know. were just names, credits in the book. <laughs> but then now we're so lucky to have all these cons and this, this burgeoning fandom. We actually have the chance to go out and meet these people face
2: to face. It's a wonderful thing and it's particularly wonderful for the uh, Silver Age artists because that happens to be in demand right now. Yes. I mean, whoever would have thought when we were doing those goofy little drawings back in the 50s and 60s that anybody would even remember them. But it's, it's just been an amazing sort of resurgence.
0: You know, I, I love the modern art, I love the modern creators, um, but my heart belongs to the Silver Age. Yeah, That's right. when I, I first started reading was the Silver Age books, I know. and well, there's just they, something special about they those. They real
2: stories, you know, yeah. and the drawing was for, to tell the stories, not, oh, no. if I may say so, not to make posters to sell at conventions. <laughs> A little more sequential art, you <laughs> yeah, know, storytelling yeah. with the pictures. Yeah, storytelling, Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it was a lot of work, I would imagine, compared to today. I mean, not that I'm saying today's work isn't a lot of work, but I'm saying oh, there's, like a, there's, a, there's a lot, well, in the older books, there's a lot more packed in, in terms of panels and panels. Um, oh, there's more oh, detailed yeah. artwork today.
2: Oh, my God. I, I'm astonished well, I'm at how much detail they get in. Yeah. And how much action it's, I mean, we never could have conceived of that back then. So I have to hand it to the artists today. I suppose, I suppose everybody lives up to what's, Happening at their time, so if there's no end to how complicated or how yeah. you know how involved they could be, go away. I'm being interviewed.
0: <laughs> I, I guess a better way to put it, I find that more stories today are more decompressed. Yeah. But they can do put more detail into the art, and yeah. they have more special coloring techniques.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, whereas back then, you had to fit the story usually into one issue or yeah. less That's if there were right. multiple stories. That's right. So that was the challenge there. I
2: know. It, well, It was. When I started, we did all these simple layouts. We didn't break up the panels at all. And we didn't do, um, we didn't do, I just, I think comics have been influenced by the movies to such an extent that they don't feel dialogue's necessary, that it's all become camera work or the equivalent of camera work. And uh, back then we just, you know, we were careful that well, you know, there was always a narration saying what's yes. exactly happening. So if your drawing wasn't that good, the narration carried it through. You know, but you could always tell what was going on sequentially. Now it's just a, it's like free form. Uh, so yeah, I'm just trying. To, you know, uh, what do you call it? It just it just streams out of like it doesn't seem to have any structure. Any particular form—at least
0: to my eyes. Well, sometimes I find it more difficult to jump into an issue of a current comic and understand what's going on. I whereas know. back then, it could be someone's first comic, and I it was know. always you got to be yeah. able to explain who everyone is in the book <laughs> without being repetitive, yeah, and find a way to do that so I that it's, it's an entry place for everyone. And that's that's a real challenge nowadays because we do more compressed, decompressed storytelling. It's, It's hard if you come in in the middle. You might feel like you're left out of something. You don't want to to get involved in it. Sort
2: of in a way it didn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I know that the old generation always is critical of the younger generation, (laughs) so I'm just doing it.
0: (laughs) Do you have any advice for the current generation, those budding artists and writers out there?
2: Go to art school, study, learn how to draw a figure, you know, just learn how to draw. I mean, I think some kids make the mistake of just learning how to do all the details, the buttons and the, the lights and all that stuff, but you really need to have the basics, I think. And the more you... I mean, I think most of the artists today are very accomplished artists, actually, so probably they don't need any advice. You know, the kids seem to... Just develop, you know. According to, they're living up to what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. to the standards. But, but I would say in general, so art school learn to draw, 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 draw. That's what I did. You know, for three years, I drew from a model every single day. You know, and right. I learned how to do it.
0: So you need a solid foundation. Yeah. And you have to practice. Yeah. yeah. Stay in school, kids, and that's what you have to do. Right. And there's no shortcut. Yeah.
2: No, there isn't. There isn't. And, um, well, that's the only, that's the basic advice
0: that I'd give kids. Ramona, well, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hope to see you again at another show. Okay, that was my interview with Ramona Freyden. And I certainly want to give credit where credit is due. That's while I was on assignment for Word of the Nerd, the pop culture website. So if you like comics, want to keep up with the comic book news, want to read about cosplay, movies, TV, and comics, Word of the Nerd. When I head down to North Carolina, I believe Ramona's going to be there again. So, And she did mention that in an interview. She likes to go to North Carolina, the uh, Heroes Con. And also my uh, friends at Word of the Nerd will be there too. So I'll, hopefully I'll get a chance to catch up with both of them. Well, I hope you enjoyed both interviews with Hope Nicholson and with Mona and as a bonus. And uh, check out Hope's book. It is on Amazon now for pre-order. It will be out on May 2nd. It's a really nice-looking book by Quirk Books. And I'll tell you, you can judge this book by its cover. It's just as good on the insides. Great reading, good information. That's it for this episode. I will be returning to these podcast airwaves on Thursday with another interview. You can reach me on social media at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Download and subscribe so you don't miss an interview. You might learn something new. You might hear someone you've never heard of before and be glad that you did. And if you have a chance, log into iTunes, Stitcher, rate and review the podcast. Tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. And probably the most important way to spread the word of Creator Talks is by word of mouth. Tell your friends who also listen to podcasts, who also like comics, who also like interviews about comic books, and their creators. And, you know, more of these interviews are going to be getting into more of the fun stuff about the creators, not just about their books, because, yeah, sure, I mean, you can read about it. I like hearing about it from the mouth of the creator, but I also like knowing more about them, and that's what this show is all about. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.